It is good to be with you uh, this morning. Um, I was not expecting that I was going to have a chance to be able to share with you. Uh, several weeks ago, I met with your missions committee and met with several of you um, and had a delightful time, but I was expecting that I would be in quarantine right now having returned to China, but because of the Delta variant, some of those plans had to be changed and I'm still stuck in the United States for a couple more months. So uh, when that was discovered, Stephen asked if I would be willing to then come and speak sometime, and it worked out perfectly to be able to come this Sunday when both Stephen and Audrey are away. People often ask me, why do I live and work in China? I've lived in China now for the past 30 years. And this view graph explains very succinctly why I live and work in China. As you look at that map and see that circle, that circle is not a very large circle as far as the map of the world is concerned. Inside of that circle, we have half of the world's population. Inside of that circle is very crowded with people. One of my first experiences living in China was riding a subway during rush hour. And I got onto the subway and I was being squished with more and more people up against me. And as we got closer to the center of the city, more and more people were squished on, and now I'm being squished even more. Until finally, so many people get onto the train that I am literally, physically, pushed up off the bottom of the train because everybody pressing up against me. And here I am like a ballerina trying to stretch out my tippy toes to try to touch the bottom of the train and I can't even reach the bottom of the train with my tips of my toes. This area of the world is very, very crowded with people. Inside of that circle, we have half of the world's population. Inside of that circle, we have 10% of the world's Christians. 90% of the world's Christians live outside of that circle. North, South America, Europe, Africa, Australia, Russia. Now, obviously, not 90%. I'm not saying 90% of the people outside of that circle are Christians. I'm saying that 90% of the world's Christians live outside of that circle. And yet, this was the statistic which blew me away. Is inside of that circle, we have 5% of those involved in full-time Christian work. 
95% of those involved in full-time Christian work work in half of the world's population where we already have 90% of the world's Christians. I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm a software engineer by nature. The only Greek I ever learned was in calculus class. That's the extent of my Greek. I'm not fortunate enough to have attended Western seminary or any seminary. My background is software engineering. And as a problem-solving engineer, when I heard this statistic, I thought, that's a problem that I want to solve, or at least help solve. And so for the last 30 years, I've been living, working inside of that circle in China. I was expecting to be in China now, but many of my plans have obviously changed this last year, just like many of your plans have changed this year because of COVID. My last year's, last school year, 1920, in January of 2020, I left China for a three-week vacation in Thailand. Brought a couple t-shirts, a pair of sandals, a swimsuit along with me to Thailand. I never got back to China. My Christmas decorations are still up in my home from Christmas of 2019. They're still standing there. I went out to Thailand, and as news of COVID began to seep in, talk was, oh, you know, maybe I'm going to be delayed. And so I began teaching online. thinking that, okay, I'm going to be here in Thailand for a couple weeks, and then I'll get back to China. Weeks turned into a couple months. My visa ran out. So I had to step across into Malaysia because my Thai visa was expiring. I went across into Malaysia for three, four, five days with the plan to return to Thailand. That was the second week of March of last year. And if you remember, second week of March of last year, everything changed. And I went across to Malaysia for a couple days, and I was there for, I think, the third day I was there, the border between Malaysia and Thailand was closed. Now suddenly... <laughs> I can't even get back to Thailand. And I was beginning to feel like a refugee who can't even get back to his refugee camp. And all through this time, there is a verse that kept resonating with me. Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course but the Lord determines his steps. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord 
determines his steps. I do lots of planning. Hey, I'm an engineer. What do you expect? Okay? I plan. I plan things to the extreme. To the extreme. Okay? I mean, I plan my schedule a year ahead of time. That's me. That's what I like to do. I just don't plan in my heart. I plan in detail. I mean, I write down things on my computer, and I put things down on my schedule, and I plan everything out. And yet, the Lord determines our steps. I see the back door there. And I think to myself, I plan out. And I think to myself, okay, I'm going to go to that back door. How am I going to get there? Okay, well, I'm going to walk over there, going to walk down those steps, walk down the center aisle, walk down, and get to the back door. That's my plan. Okay. Time to implement, implement the plan. And suddenly, my feet start going backwards rather than going forwards toward the steps. I, I get frustrated. I, I get angry. I get irritated. I, that's not what I, I want to go this way. And yet my feet are going in this way. And I think this year of COVID, this year, this verse of Proverbs 16:9 is one that I suspect we can all relate to. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So many things from this past year, year and a half now, has not been what we wanted, right? This, wasn't, this isn't what we planned for. We planned for a lot of things. And that there were so many things that have happened that this was not what we wanted. And it's very easy to get frustrated and irritated. This summer, living in Holland. I'm constantly driving around, and I'm constantly seeing these. If you live in the city, you keep running into these detour signs, right? There's construction all over the place. And every single time you come up to this sign that says detour, but yet that's the road you want, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can say, <clears throat> no, that's my plan. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. And you can mow down that detour sign and progress forward, but you're probably going to make the Holland police and the construction crew upset with you. Or... We can say, okay, hmm, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I planned. But I'm going to trust the Department of Transportation. I'm going to trust the city of Holland. And if they say, take this detour, go around, I'm going to trust them and go that way. And that's what we do do, right? We surrender. You know, 
we, we surrender to the Department of Transportation in the city of Holland, and yet we find it difficult to surrender to God at times. And yet, this is what I had to do, and this is what we've all had to do this last year. And so I was stuck in Thailand for a while. I continued to teach online until finally my school notified me that I wasn't going to be able to return anytime soon. And so I came back to the United States and finished the course of the semester. I love teaching. I love interacting with my students. I love having my students come over to my home. I, I really resonated with your, your purpose statement or mission statement, whatever it's called. Intentionally sharing the love of Jesus through compassionate-filled hospitality. I love that because that's very much what I do in China. I love having my students come over to my home for lasagna meals and pizza meals and Narnia clubs and discussion groups. And it's in that format that I have many opportunities to build a wonderful relationship with my students and in that have the opportunity to share my faith. I love teaching. I love time in the classroom, interacting with my students, teaching, joking, looking them in the eye, responding to how they respond to me. I love teaching. I hate teaching via Zoom. I see a lot of heads nodding. I hate Zoom. Boy, I hate Zoom. I mean, it's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful tool. I'm very grateful for it, but I hate it. I mean, I teach, you know, when I have to teach, I see all these just these little few little boxes on my computer screen, and I'm just talking to my computer. And so, yes, I love teaching, but, and I was planning, thinking that I was going to be starting the fall semester in September, teaching again. But once again, Proverbs 16:9, in his heart, man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I was not planning on being here with you this morning. I was planning on being in quarantine preparing to resume my career in China. But, ugh, I surrender to the Lord and allow him to direct my steps. COVID is sadly not the only challenge that China has had in recent years. China, for the last three, four years, has also has become much more hostile toward Christianity and just to freedom as a whole. Many of you have probably heard of some of the Uyghur Muslim minorities who are being rounded up and being put in re-education camps. The European Union and the United States has used the word genocide to describe what is going on in the far northwest of China. Horrific things. I've had more colleagues of mine get kicked out of China in the last four years, three years, than I've had in the previous 27. 
And so China is becoming a, a more of a hostile environment to live in. The church is starting to have more and more challenges and more and more problems. One of my greatest contributions that I've been able to have in the last 30 years has been discipling a young man who is now a house church pastor. In China, probably 85% of China's believers attend a house church where they meet somewhat secretly in homes or small places, but only 15% would go to sort of governmental official churches. And as a pastor of a house church, he has many problems, many difficulties. He's regularly harassed by officials. One of the newest difficulties that Christians in China is going to have is as China is developing a new translation of the Bible. A translation which is a little bit more compatible with Chinese values. And this is how John chapter 8, just to give you a sense of this new translation. This is how John chapter 8 has translated this familiar story. The crowd wanted to stone the woman to death as per their law. But Jesus said, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Hearing this, they slipped away one by one. When the crowd disappeared, Jesus stoned the sinner to death, saying, I too am a sinner. But if the law could only be executed by men without blemish, the law would be dead. That is the new Chinese translation of the Bible, which is very quickly going to be the one which is going to be required to be used in governmental churches, which is going to make it increasingly more difficult for somebody like myself. In the past, I've been able to say, hey, you know, my students could, could there were ways that they could buy a Bible, and I could help them. But now, this is the Bible that they would be able to find. And so I'm no longer going to be able to be able to have them just if they want to help them find a Bible in China. It's going to make it difficult for Chinese non-believers who are seeking after the truth. Maybe they're genuinely interested. They're genuinely interested in finding out about Christianity 
And so they, they find a Bible, thinking, oh, you know, the Bible talks about Christianity. I want to find out about what Christians believe about God. And so this is going to be the Bible that they are able to buy. They're not going to learn about the God that I worship and the God that you worship. And so the, ch the church in China is struggling with some of these additional challenges. I think to myself, it's, it's sort of a good reminder for us here even in the United States. In Matthew, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. There be, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. We here in the United States have been very fortunate for most of our history to live in a country, in a culture, in a society which is maybe not even just open to Christianity, but has basically been governed with Christian values and by Christian people. And while there's obviously always been non-Christians, the Christian population has been the majority, at least the cultural Christians. But now we're beginning to experience a change there. And Jesus tells us, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Yeah. There are more wolves out there than there used to be. And therefore, we need to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. I find it very, very interesting that in the time of Jesus, Jesus didn't come down hard on the Roman leaders. He didn't blast the Roman leaders for the evil that they propagated. What he did do was he came down hard on the religious leaders and he admonished his disciples and his followers to be united together. As we struggle and live in a society which is increasingly hostile to what we believe. It is more important than ever for us to support and help and encourage and strengthen and be united together with one another. Jesus' prayer for us, the Lord's Prayer, not the Lord's Prayer that we often quote, but the Lord's Prayer that what, how the Lord prays for us. The Lord Jesus prayed for us in the Gospel of John. And he says, my prayer, this is John chapter 17, verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, namely his disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's us. We have believed in the message via the disciples and those who have passed on the message from the disciples. 
And what does he pray for us? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the call for the church. We are united together. We are called to be united together. Why? Because we like pizza parties and because we like warm fuzzies? No. Because we live in a hostile environment and we need each other's support and encouragement. And also because by being united together, we will be very different than the world out there. And because of the unity that we have for each other, the world will know that Jesus is King. We are dependent upon each other. I'm dependent upon churches like yourselves for, for, for finances, for encouragement, for prayers, for, for everything that I do in China. We all are dependent upon each other for, for help during times of difficulty. One of the things that I love to exercise, as I said, I love to exercise your mission statement or your purpose statement of gospel-filled hospitality. I love, I love having my students come over to my home for Narnia book clubs. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay. You've read them? Okay. They are a wonderful, if you have not read them, you should read them. They are a great piece of literature. But they are also filled with so much spiritual truth. It's, it's written in the story of, of it's, it's written in the form of a story of these four little children who go to this magical land of Narnia. And there they meet Aslan, who is the symbolic symbol of Christ. And in all of these books, there is great spiritual truth. The first book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Edmund has betrayed his brother Peter and his sisters Lucy and, and Susan. And he needs to be slaughtered on the stone table. And yet Aslan voluntarily chooses to take the place of Edmund so that Edmund can go free. And what a great picture because every single one of us, every single one of us should be on that cross. Everyone, every single one of us should be executed on that cross. Every single one of us should be going through the torture that Jesus went through on that cross. 
And yet Jesus voluntarily substitutes himself and says, hey, I'll go on that so that you don't have to and so that I don't have to. And so it's a wonderful picture of the picture of Christ dying for us. Don Treader, I could go on, talk about all seven of the books. Don Treader, probably my favorite, my favorite character in the book is Ripacheep. This little mouse, well, he's not a little mouse, he's a big mouse. He's a big talking mouse. But Ripacheep is filled with this passion and conviction and courage to reach Aslan's land, to reach Aslan. He just has this passion to find Aslan. And I admonish my students and say, do you have that same passion? I know you don't believe in God. I know you believe that it's all superstitious. But are you willing to be like Ripacheep and seek and find out and discover? Are, are you right or are you wrong in your belief? Are you willing to seek out? So all of these books are, are wonderful books. The Last Battle is a wonderful, wonderful story of how the, the world of, of Narnia comes to an end. And the Narnians' eternal destiny is determined upon whether they love Aslan or whether they don't love Aslan. And so likewise, our eternal destiny is determined by whether we love Jesus or whether we don't love Jesus. And so I'm planning on getting back to China as quickly as I can. I'm hoping to go back October, November, December, January, February at the latest, but <laughs> I also am allowing him to direct my steps. People have often said, you know, Daniel, you've served in China for so long. You've been there for 30 years. Why don't you just give it up? Why don't you just come back? He, live in here in the United States. Do Narnia clubs here in the U.S. There are a lot of non-Christians here, too. But I keep going back to this map, this circle where half of the world's population lives and yet only 10% of the world's Christians and only 5% of those involved in full-time Christian work. I think of Jonah. Jonah. The book of Jonah ends with God turning to Jonah and he says, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? This little vine has grown up and has provided shade for him in the middle of a desert. And Jonah says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord says, yeah, you're concerned about this vine? Though you didn't tend it and you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And that's what you're concerned about? Nineveh 
is a city of more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left. Should I, should I not be concerned about that great city? 120,000 people. I live in a city of more than 100 times that size, of about 20 million people. And is the Lord not concerned about that great city? And should we not also? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for the nations, for the cities, for the cities of Wuhan and Shanghai and Guangdong, for the cities of Xi'an and Chengdu and Changchun, for the cities of Beijing and Chongqing and Yunnan, cities that have so many people and yet have so few Christians. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know how to respond to that. Help us, Lord God, as we live here in the U.S., to, as we live in an increasingly difficult environment. Help us to be wise and shrewd and innocent Help us to be united together with each other, to encourage and help and bless one another, not so that we can have warm, fuzzy, wonderful parties together, but so that the world will know that you are true and that you have sent your son. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to make plans, to make wise plans, to make good plans, not to be foolish. You've given us a brain, and we pray that we would use our brain to make plans. And yet, Father, we pray that with all those plans, we would make them, and yet then we would surrender them to you so that when we do end up hitting that detour sign, we surrender to you and we allow you to direct our steps. We pray in Jesus' name.